Have you ever talked to a crocodile wrestler? I have, and it was fun as hell. Our guest today on the Desuckify Work podcast is Martin Barnes, self-described crocodile wrestler and founder of Eight Seconds to Connect, where he coaches folks on pitching and presenting. As you can imagine, telling people you wrestle 2,000 pound reptiles is a pretty good way to get someone's attention in less than eight seconds. And when you hear Martin tell the story behind his moniker, that connection only deepens. You may know Martin on LinkedIn as the guy who uses simple sketches to tell powerful stories. Those sketches are a great example of his ability to grab and hold your attention in the midst of a million other pixels competing for your eyeballs. We touch on that and so much more during our conversation. We talk about how you can actually learn to love pitching and turn anxiety into joyful anticipation. We talk about how the skills we develop as presenters can help us communicate with more intention in any situation and how a small stack of Legos is all you need to understand the keys to a successful pitch. So who's ready for some crocodile wrestling? Okay, Martin Barnes, welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Fantastic, TJ. It's so good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here, and I'd love to give you a chance to let everyone know who you are. What's your story? What are you doing for work, and how'd you come to be doing it? Well, my story is I am a crocodile wrestler. Okay. <laughs> please, please elaborate. <laughs> this is this is how this is. A crocodile wrestling is being the father of six-year-old twins. Oh, gosh. An absolutely beautiful challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's also the best way that I pitch myself. So I'm mm -hmm. a presentation coach. Mm -hmm. I pitch myself out there and I get lots of really interesting messages where people message me back and go, tell me about the crocodiles. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, it worked. <laughs> and... Uh, I used to introduce myself and bore myself and I was super bored and I imagined the person listening was super bored. So I had to do something about it. And mm -hmm. the solution was crocodile wrestler. I like it. It definitely uh, grab, grabs the attention. As soon as you said it, I was like, I don't know what that means, but I want to know. And uh, yeah, I think I had seen it on your LinkedIn profile as well. I was like, yeah, I, I imagine what would be fun to me is like what pops up in each person's head for what that could possibly mean, right? Because I'm sitting here trying to connect it to your work somehow. And I'm thinking like, are the clients the crocodiles? <laughs> like, is the uh, the pitch itself a crocodile? But you're like, no, it's it's my twins. <laughs> exactly. And, and what I've really learned to do is say it with real intention mm -hmm. and wait for the reaction and then read the situation, the eyebrows, the smile, <laughs> the laughter. <laughs> confusion mm -hmm. and then i sort of figure out where to go with it next and yeah that makes sense yeah i like it it's fun um you know one of the things i'm i'm curious about you know so you're doing this thing as a presentation coach helping people learn how to pitch um but you are spending a lot of time out there we're talking to different clients with lots of different organizations so i imagine you're you're taking the pulse a little bit when you're out there about how people feel about work and working and I'm sure you've also seen, you've been on LinkedIn a few times, so you realize people have some opinions on this. What's, what's your take? How, what is the state of work right now? If we had a, a suck meter 
you know, what, <laughs> where is it, uh, you know, not so sucky, incredibly sucky or somewhere in between? Well, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I felt work sucked mm. unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, actually this week, Tuesday, I was back in London. I'm not based in London. I'm in the UK, but um, I was back in London and I had coffee with my first boss. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a job in 2000. And it was the best job because the people were amazing. The work mm -hmm. was really interesting. And we both really enjoyed spending an hour together having a coffee 23 years later. I left in October 2023. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, like just over 20 years later, we sat down having a coffee again. And he, he was an example of an amazing boss. And I never got that again. Mm -hmm. And I struggled and I, I I kind of bashed against the edges of all of these other work situations. Some of them were insanely toxic. Some of mm -hmm. them were just a bit mismanaged. Mm -hmm. And it was a real sort of knowing that we were going to have this conversation and then meeting my old boss for a coffee. There was this lovely juxtaposition of like, the the best job I've ever had was the first one I ever had. Mm. Could never catch that lightning in a bottle again, sort of understandably. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2013, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own. And I'm mm. going to, not necessarily on my own own, but I'm not going to work in somebody else. I used to describe it, I want to be the captain of my own ship. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I create the chaos, it's my boat. If mm -hmm. I'm in someone else's boat and they're creating the chaos, I just have to deal with it. And I yeah. couldn't handle that. Yeah. So, mm. where does work, it does work suck right now? I guess it's always sucked. I think. <laughs> I think that's not an unfair assessment. I think my, my take is that to some degree, work has always sucked. There's always been some percentage of people toiling away at stuff that could obviously be better. And I think that's certainly true today. I, I hear, maybe because I'm paying attention more, I hear some crazy stories that I feel like I didn't hear once upon a time. And <clears throat> But it could just be the exposure through social media lets you see all of the, the, the ugliness because it all rises to the surface. And maybe 15, 20 years ago when we weren't so always online, maybe we just didn't hear about it. Um, but yeah, so I, I, you know, my sense for me, I'd probably put it pretty high. But like you said, it may always have been there, and and maybe now's our chance to to finally make it closer to what your first experience was like, you know. Which you know brings me to what what made your first boss a great boss. So it was a really small little design studio, mm -hmm. and um, basically, I, I I finished my graphic design degree. And then I, want, I, I didn't feel satisfied. Again, the first year of my studies was amazing. In England, we do four years, a year foundation and three years degree. Mm -hmm. My foundation year was the best year ever. It was incredible. The people, the tutors, the projects, the freedom. Mm -hmm. And then again, the next thing wasn't quite as good. And I kind of butted up against the edges of it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quite fit in. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do a master's. And I applied to the Royal College of Art in England, in London, which is like the premium place to go. Mm. And I didn't get it in. Yeah. But then a friend of mine put me forward for a job. And then I went to have the interview and I got the job. 
and I remember thinking like six months later I'm like I'm so glad I didn't get that master's degree because I would have spent a lot of money being back at university for two years mm -hmm. and probably come out with some ridiculously big ego because I came from a prestigious school yeah. in fact I went to a job where there were four other people five six five six other people we were all in the same room mm -hmm. and the, there was no ego in the room there was a lot of people challenging each other uh, a lot of interesting work a lot of uh, belief mm -hmm. I remember being terrible when I started I had no idea what I was doing mm -hmm. um, but then one of my I suppose the senior creative within the company of five was just amazing and I felt like I was getting my own one-on-one -on -one master's degree and mm -hmm. they were paying me wow. and I was getting opportunities to really explore creatively and technically all sorts of different things mm -hmm. and it and it was just autonomy respect um creative boundary pushing um just all those things all sort of came together mm -hmm. and it was amazing mm. it's interesting you mentioned things like autonomy and respect and um one of the things that i will occasionally talk with some of my clients about is what are the feelings you have when you're at work as much as what are the literal things or the processes and all that stuff, which is where our brains sometimes first go, like, why is a job good? And, and you kind of touched on a couple that, that show up a lot. I mean, autonomy is a huge one. Um, and, and respect, I think is an underrated one because I think, you know, I think some people show up to work and think almost like I don't deserve respect yet. I, I haven't been here long enough. I have to earn it as opposed to just it being a fundamental human good that should show up out of the gate. And then you can you can earn a sense of being better at your job and people can recognize that your skills have grown and all that. But it seems pretty basic that if you show up to a place and you're performing work for people and with people that respect should be should be granted. But yet it doesn't always show up that way what what do you think's driving that oh i think you know then i'm in, in a in a in a in a job beyond that so mm -hmm. i did that job for well, close to four years then i moved to china to teach graphic design mm. um, and i did that for say three years and then around 2007 2008 i was in an agency a, a big advertising agency Mm -hmm. And it was the complete opposite. It was a hornet's nest of mm. ego and ambition and um, pride. And just you, there were cliques and there were little teams within teams and the communication. And it was like, um, so it was almost like zero respect. And it was all like, you're going to respect me because I've been here longer, or you're going to respect me because I'm more senior, which mm -hmm. again is, is like so forced and mm -hmm. um, is the opposite of respect. Yeah. Like, I think what you were, you were describing made me think that it's just human nature. Um, don't be a, you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't, it, it's like, what is it? I'm not religious at all, but it's like, treat other people like you want to be treated that's common sense right Seem, seems like, seems to be and, and should be yeah and I, I i wonder what it is about work and organizations that 
can sometimes strip us of that, right? Because I, I, I'm willing to bet that if you took people out of that, that job at the big agency, that at least some portion of them who maybe were not so great in that agency, when they went home or they hung out with their friends, they might've been perfectly lovely people. And there's something about an organizational structure that can uh, give us permission to not be kind, to be, um, I'll say it, to be an asshole, you know, and, and to reward that, right? Um, and I think a lot of that comes back down to things like culture, um, how people set those boundaries, um, how people, you know, in terms of the values a company may hold. I mean, I can't tell you how many companies I work for where I have no idea if they even had any values, <laughs> which is remarkable because, um, as humans, we all hold values. We may not have them at the tip of our tongue always, but we hold them. And if you walk into a place that's kind of devoid of that and it becomes kind of anything goes, well, you get a little Lord of the Flies craziness that happens, right? It, it makes, what you just said makes me think like, um, you know, when you're driving a car and then somebody will sort of drive in a way that you don't agree with they might cut mm -hmm. you up or, or something mm -hmm. and then you're like wow you start cursing in the car and then there's the sort of thing of like stop you don't know what they're dealing with they might mm -hmm. be in a rush they might right. be you know having to get somewhere quickly because of a family you know you just don't know but you instinctively it's that what is it thinking fast and slow that amazing mm -hmm. thing you read yeah it? yeah mm -hmm. jumping to these biases that we have mm -hmm. and like you're totally right anyone that you sort of clash with at work might get to home and just kind of take that work you know visage off and just be mm -hmm. super nice to their kids yeah. and you're like why aren't you like that at work right but for some just like the person driving the car mm -hmm. you perceive it as being antagonistic and and, and counter your values mm -hmm. but, but like you said we don't know what the values are they're not right. they're not they're not articulated. They're not demonstrated. I'm not saying mm -hmm. there needs to be a poster on the wall, but mm -hmm. like they're not, there's no lead lead by example of what, what it should be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happens is then it does devolve into sort of survival of the fittest and survival of the, the meanest and survival of the click that, you know, has the power at that point in time. Um, and it's not, it's not that hard for, I think, an organization to step back and sort of go, what, what are our values? Um, I think the harder part is what you said is you can put them on a poster and that's fine, but you, you damn well better live by them then. And you, and you, and you better, I think, articulate for people who maybe who are coming in, like, this is, this is who we are here. Um, so when you show up here, this is this is who we we need you to be. If that's not you, that's fine. You don't need to work here. But um, instead, everybody brings their own thing and their own thing. And then, you know, our human, like you said, our biases take over our human nature, which is when we feel threatened, when we feel afraid, which is in a hyper competitive ad agency environment, probably daily, if not hourly or minutely. And and then, you know, all that stuff, all that, you know, however many years of evolution shows up. And it's just go into attack mode or go into protect mode. And, and neither one of those seems very conducive to doing great work or perhaps even enjoying that work. Exactly. There's, there's this sort of chemistry and dynamics, which 
must be engineered to some extent to mm-hmm. be a little bit Hunger Games, you know, mm-hmm. Battle Royale in sense of like, yeah, because at the end of the day, that's primeval instinct, like you've just described, takes over. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also like communication between people and energy levels and patience and and um, I remember. I think it was the uh, Oren Oren Claff is a big presentation sort of voice, and he's mm. written a couple of books, and mm-hmm. one of them was Pitch Anything, and it was the first time that I sort of heard of like, or the first time someone explained this sort of chicken brain, lizard brain, the three levels of the brain, and and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And I just remember thinking that you know, in communication, there's the sender and the receiver. There's two responsibilities, mm-hmm. and um because of the way that the brain has evolved over time you to me it was like i did a little sketch of like the caveman brain you've got these two bouncers who are just like uh-uh, nothing's coming through um and then when we're trying to communicate ideas we've got like our steve jobs brain you know mm-hmm. highly innovative visionary we're trying like mm-hmm. and you got when steve job talks talks to a caveman no 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 wonder nothing goes right, right. yeah and in work situations, you just sort of, you know, you know, you could almost, you probably do this beautifully with AI, right? You could imagine a, a, a boardroom and you'd have like Einstein, Steve Jobs, you know, a caveman. I mean, we could balance that out with some female archetypes, but like mm-hmm. just all these different people, I'm not listening. You can, mm-hmm. I can see your mouth moving, but <laughs> yeah. barriers are up. Mm-hmm. And so not only is it like, the environment can be quite turbulent but then also how we it's like whenever i talk to my wife for a long time i used to just launch from wherever i was in my head Mm. to her she would just look at me and go what are you talking about and she would bite back and then it took me a long time to realize that i say have you got a minute i want to talk to you Mm-hmm. And so I wave a flag of like, I need your attention. If now's not a good time, you tell me, but I mm-hmm. don't want to keep bashing into the wall of your, you know. And I, and I believe that present, like, especially doing presentations and pitching and agency pitching, you know, mm-hmm. how and when you communicate decides whether the message is actually going to get received by the other person. You can send it, mm-hmm. but if, if it's not received, you're just like broadcasting. Mm-hmm. You know, like aeroplanes that drop flyers, and you know, radio that broadcasts at four o'clock in the morning, hoping somebody's listening. You know? <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of that that goes on in in the workspace, and you know, I wanna wanna dive into a little bit of the work you do as a as a presentation coach, and I wanna, I think, eventually maybe circle back to some of the ways that those skills, as you're saying, might go beyond just the creating a good pitch deck or whatever, but help more broadly with communication in the workplace. But, but let's start with kind of the crux of what you do. And one of the reasons I think this desuckify work thing that, that I'm trying to do is think of the different ways work can suck. And one of the reasons work can suck sometimes is when we don't think we're very good at something, right? So we show up at work sometimes in certain areas we feel good at, like, let's just say, you know, I was a copywriter, creative director, I might feel really confident that I can come up with an idea, write some good copy and do that. And then I get to the time where I have to then share it with somebody and I'm like, Oh, why don't they just see it and love it? You know? And 
if you experience that every day or pretty much every day, like on some level, work is going to suck for you because you have this big chunk of your day. And I think there aren't too many jobs where at some point you don't have to put your thoughts together in some shape or form, whether it's in a deck or even just talking to somebody and, and try to, you know, get somebody to see things the way you're seeing them and hopefully get excited about it and want to join you in that project. So how, how does one coach people to become better at that thing that so many of us either feel like we're not very good at, or it honestly might even scare us because it's just like, we get that, that sort of fear of public speaking thing that shows up as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that really uh, classic Jerry Seinfeld joke about people who would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that. I feel like I may have, and it's pretty funny. It's truth. kind of banded around a lot. And, yeah. and I, it used to really annoy me until I started watching more of Jerry Seinfeld's uh, stand-up comedy. Because I never really, I knew he was on Seinfeld. I knew he had the show and everything. I knew he was huge, mm -hmm. but I hadn't watched any of his comedy. Mm. And I always thought, ah, oh, I really don't like that quote because it's so, so stupid. It doesn't make sense. Of course, you don't want to be dead. Whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then I sort of realized that it's actually the emotion and the, you know, it's, it's pinpointing the fear and it's, mm. and it's pushing it to an extreme, which is his kind of, his, mm -hmm. his, his, he pushes things ludicrously to their extreme. Mm -hmm. And that's what I thought, okay, that's quite, that's quite funny. I get that. And it's like, it's empathizing with the fact that, those moments of communication are so um, raw and can be incredibly well prepared for, but then unravel at the last minute. Mm. And there's this insense, insane fear that you are, there is no stop, rewind, edit. There's nothing you can do once that ship is sailing, you are sailing. And mm -hmm. um, I think that is, and because you're so vulnerable, um, not only on, what you say but how you say it and how you look and how mm. effective it is does it get the results everyone wants mm. um and then there are some people that sort of lean into that and and and, and go with the flow and then they suddenly look really good and effortless and then everyone else goes oh my god i'm never going to be able to do that <laughs> and then we always go and check out steve jobs releasing the iphone and the iphone right. uh, Mm -hmm. well, have you seen that amazing TED talk? And you're like, mm -hmm. okay, but Steve Jobs had a team of people making him look amazing. And TED speakers get nine months of speaker training, not yeah. full time, but they spend the nine, they have a nine month leading time to getting on that stage. We forget that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you work in an agency, you're probably tired. You probably do three or four projects at once. The timelines are all over the shop. And then bang, you're in the client meeting. And what you say in that hour, two hours, could be winning a new project that's going to pay for the agency for the next six weeks, two mm -hmm. months, three months, whatever it might be. It's yep. a lot of pressure. Um, and, and it's just like, go and be awesome. <laughs> How hard is that? And if you're not awesome, then I'm going to tar and feather you. We're going to mm -hmm. slowly move you out. And then you're going to be looking for a job. Oh, training? No, we don't do training. <laughs> and it's like what's going on it's crazy like everyone is it's almost like the the, the sports field is on a tilt and mm -hmm. you're playing with grease on your feet and the ball is flat everything's against <laughs> you you know i definitely can relate to that because <clears throat> certainly early in my career 
presentations felt daunting to me. And <clears throat> I do think maybe I think one agency provided like a one hour training thing, but that's pretty much all I remember getting. And it was mostly like, you just had to kind of look around and maybe find somebody that you thought was kind of good at it and see if you could kind of assume their persona. Um, and you had to do all that. Like, while well, you said, while well, you're really tired, you're juggling other projects and you feel the weight <clears throat> of the entire agency upon you, because if you don't do this well, they won't get paid as much as they would have gotten paid. And then you may lose your job and then life falls apart and da, 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 da. And then you'd rather be dead <laughs> than giving the eulogy. Right. I mean, that's the whole, that's the, that's the trip that that joke takes you on. Right. And it's, um, what's amazing is I think even as I got quote unquote good at it, cause I do think I got better at it. It was rare that I went into a pitch without feeling anxious and wondering like, do I really have this? Um, and, and I wonder, you know, when, when somebody shows up to you like, like that, and it's like, yeah, I, I do this. I'm a creative director. I pitch all the time and I do pretty well. My batting average is pretty good, but yet I still don't like it because every damn time I, I get the butterflies and then I question myself. And then the whole time I'm, you know, sort of making my way through, but not feeling like I'm optimizing who I could be. How do you get somebody who's in that state of mind to, to shift to one that can not only excel at it, but, but maybe find some joy in it, you know, how to maybe, maybe, you know, tell us a little bit about how you help people get to that place. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, what you, you used a word there, um, which is part of one of my mantras, um, anxious or anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, and I sort of say, let's turn anxiety into anticipation. Mm. You're allowed to feel nervous. You're allowed to feel that tingle you should feel that tingle because it's game time. It's a mm -hmm. non-refundable, I, I call them spotlight moments. Mm -hmm. Whether it's one-on-one, one-on-ten, one-on-a-hundred, one-on-a-thousand, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. When you have the attention of the room, and I have your attention right now, you have my attention, and we have the attention of our listeners in the future. Mm -hmm. This is gold. This is like high value. Mm -hmm. And if you go in there unprepared and blunder it, you're wasting that. Attention and time is non-refundable. There's no receipts or returns. Mm -hmm. um, so you should feel that moment, but don't let it become anxiety because that's going to trip you up. Mm -hmm. Let it become anticipation and lean into it with a smile and kind of go, I'm going to do this. And it might not be flawless, but nobody's flawless. I mean, have you ever seen the Steve Jobs bloopers reel? No, but like, that sounds fun. <laughs> I think it's on YouTube somewhere. We should link it in the comments. But, if, you know, he, he, surfed through, he surfed through every kind of blunder you could probably have. Because mm. he just presented a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think, like, when you know that it I, – I did a TEDx Beijing talk in 2010, and I had so much anxiety and pressure on myself for it to be amazing – um, and then I didn't perform as much as I wanted to. And it was a pivotal moment in teaching me the power of presenting and the fact that I needed a better process. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my friend about it afterwards. And he said, nobody knows what you're going to say apart from you. We're, we're just enjoying the show. Don't over pressurize yourself about, mm -hmm. you know, and again, another thing to ask your question, how do we work with people is like, 
write a script, let go of the script. Hmm. Whenever you see somebody present and their eyes are looking up at their the ceiling and they're they're sort of scanning, it's because they're trying to recreate the script they've written in their heads mm. and, and mm-hmm. get back on paragraph. Mm-hmm. And all their energy has gone away from smiling and looking into the camera and talking about what they know into I must remember what I wrote two weeks ago. Oh my god, I can't. And then you're <laughs> all, everything turns in on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's like bringing it back to flip that feeling of anxiety reframe it to anticipation let mm-hmm. it exist but just enjoy the sizzle instead of worrying about getting burnt mm. that's a great framing i mean i think it's funny because i mean even talking about the podcast like that's probably how i feel before doing each one of these episodes is anticipation you know i'm excited that i get to talk to somebody interesting and, and do stuff and and it's it's weird because i'm sitting here going well why why isn't that true you know, be, before certain presentations I've had to give or, or may give. And um, it almost sounds like I just have to rewrite the story a little bit in my brain. And when I feel those physiological things, interpret them differently. And, and, then, and then hopefully as, as I'm interpreting them differently, it shows up in how I am expressing myself in the actual thing I'm doing, whether I'm presenting something or ever um as did you did you go through that process i mean were you someone who had some of that fear that you had to re yeah 100 yeah. i mean what you just said then um the, the the most the biggest most important highly stressful pitch we'll ever give is to the audience in our head mm-hmm. and at the front of our head, in a deck chair, is a big, fat, sweaty troll. <laughs> got a little piggy nose. He hasn't yeah. had a shower for a long time. He's got bad breath. He's got a little hat on. <laughs> fat tummy. <laughs> hairy nose. Have you ever heard the Gruffalo? I don't think I have, but maybe now I want to. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really famous kid's book. Okay. It's got like a bit of a monster. And the way that the author, Julia Donaldson, describes the Gruffalo is fantastic. And I've read it to my kids a million times. <laughs> and I have taken that and said, well, that big, fat, stinky troll is sat in a deck chair right in the front of your head, mm. taking up prime real estate, just sitting there going, no, you can't. You can't do that. You're going to make a mistake. And we listen that yeah and and i did a training session the other day where i had everybody in the room and the first thing we did was we all drew or described our own troll mm. on a piece of paper and i said no one has to share no one has to show but i just want you to put it on paper mm-hmm. some people said can i share it i was like of course we had a fantastic conversation where people would just dis- people started talking about this one teacher at school that had given them a really hard time and they put them off for life and Mm. we went so like the timings of that workshop went totally out the window because i was like this is great like Mm -hmm. we need to explore this right um and then it was almost like okay get that piece of paper rip it out of your book throw it up and let's chuck it in the bin over there in the corner and all these paper balls went flying around the the (laughs) studio the, the workspace that's fun yeah and it was just like don't let that take prime real estate in your emotional space Mm -hmm. because 
it will then just stay anxious. Whereas when you show that little troll, kick him out, mm-hmm. don't let him come back in, then you've got the space to feel that anticipation mm. and lean into all these amazing moments that um, presenting can give you. And of course, it's not going to be plain sailing. There's going to mm-hmm. be, if anyone tells you they don't make mistakes, you've got to start walking in the opposite direction and not talk yeah. to that person again about that topic because they're lying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and just appreciate that, Again, it's like the audience is insanely forgiving because they're secretly going, I wish I was up there, Mm. but I'm listening to my troll too much. Mm -hmm. And I admire that person because they're not listening to their troll, Mm. you know. Um, And and just realize that you can amplify and, and extend ideas so much quicker from any spotlight moment rather than sort of watching from the sidelines. And, and it's that pitch in your head that gets you from the sidelines onto the pitch. Hmm. Wow, I love I love the visual of the troll, and it seems like a pretty useful exercise, right? Like getting people to to draw and imagine, and then destroy that character. Because as soon as you said it, I'm like, I've definitely got that in my head. I think it's funny in my head what what i try to end up picturing sometimes when i think about it, i have this very judgmental voice in my head i think pic- i picture that simpsons character that always uh points and goes hey, hey. Yeah. i don't know if you like <laughs> like that's what it feels like it's like like the, you know that annoying like little bully kid who just anytime like if you just took a weird step and stumbled a little bit he noticed and pointed and goes hey, hey. like that's the voice that's in my head when i'm like practicing for my next presentation, just going, oh, you screwed that up, you know? And so I love the idea of being able to take that, that, that little guy tossing him. And then my brain actually went to the place of like, can I put somebody else in, in that chair? Who's like my, my biggest fan, my biggest supporter, you know, in my case, that might be my wife who just like, is always like encouraging me and telling me how, you know, my, you know, I'm doing, doing great things. And like, having that person there i wonder if that could be an interesting way to just completely shift the dynamic for you it's so funny you say that because we did the session we did the troll sketching exercise there was 18 people in the room one person put their hand up and said you know what i don't can i describe the person i admire Mm. yes of course and he said like i get i get your exercise but i don't have that i have this sort of suave debonair sort of 007 kind of person in my head i was like wow that's even better because they they were already where what you just described mm-hmm. not having the sweaty troll but having this sort of really perfect person that they aspire to i was like we're, we're, we're that person's already 10 10 miles ahead mm-hmm. in their own race mm-hmm. because no one's we're not racing the same race we're all running in crazy mm-hmm. different directions mm-hmm. um, and again it's like comparing to steve jobs ted talks you know really charismatic people is just it's good to be inspired and to be motivated but it's 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 not good to sort of be like oh i'll never be as good as them you know that that doesn't yeah at all. no I, I and unfortunately i think we all we all have that voice in our head and um anything that can help us get to a better voice in our head is is gold to me um the one thing that 
that I did want to touch on also about your your business is the name of your business, which I assume has a lot of meaning. But this eight seconds to, to impact. Um, when I read that, I go, oh, shit, is that really all we have is eight seconds to create an impact? <laughs> or is there more to that story? And if there is only eight seconds to create an impact, how in the world do you do it? Um, I imagine Crocodile Wrestler is a good example of that. But, you know, how else might we we get there in a way that feels, you know, genuine versus maybe forced yeah yeah um so basically when i had a business in china my business was called mountains of imagination mm -hmm. and that's based on a chinese idiom called um yali shanda which means yali is pressure shan mm -hmm. is mountain and da is big so it's like pressure the size of a mountain if you were literally to translate it mm -hmm. and and I love that expression because I just imagine this little person <laughs> holding this huge mountain until they got squashed. Mm -hmm. And then I remember thinking, well, what if we could change pressure for imagination? And we have <laughs> mountains of imagination. We could solve anything. That would be amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and it's in, in Chinese, it's chuang xiang ru shan. So it's sort of, and when you register a business in China, you have to have no other business that has a name like yours so the mm. naming is incredibly complex mm -hmm. uh, and plus there's all different chinese characters and interpretations and it has to sound good and you'll tell it to a chinese friend and they'll be like oh, it doesn't sound very good and you're like oh, God. Mm. <laughs> um, and uh, so when covid brought me back to the uk and i was reintroducing myself and people say what's your business i say mountains of imagination and then i i just suddenly went oh this is tiring there's a lot of legacy there's a lot of contextual explanation and oh, mm -hmm. i don't like it and so i was thinking i need this is an opportunity to cut the chain say thank you to that business that did me great service in china but it's not going to do me any any good in in the west mm. and then i was thinking what could i call myself i had this fantastic open Blue ocean, I can say anything. And, and I realized that mountains of imagination talked about me and I need to talk about my audience. Mm -hmm. It's not everybody wants mountains of imagination. They want mountains of revenue, mm -hmm. mountains of growth, mm -hmm. but not imagination. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was listening to a podcast and these two guys said, oh, tune into our next episode where we have 600 seconds with, and they named somebody. And I was like, Oh, that's quite cool. That's quite a short podcast. It's only 60 mm -hmm. seconds. Yeah. And then there was the whole goldfish attention. You've only got three seconds of attention, that myth, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and then I did a little bit of research and I was like, and then the final element of my thinking was that when people used to ask, I used to stop going to networking events because I was so bored of my explanation of what I do. Mm that I got super in my own head about it and I stopped going and therefore my business was impacted because I wasn't networking because when people ask me what I do, I was like, Oh no, I've got to start. <laughs> I've got to start at the beginning and I've got to educate you and give you context. And I've almost got to give you a mini lecture. Mm. And I used to watch people's eyes start going, where's the exit? Where's the exit? Get me out of here. This is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I've been there. All I... of those experiences, I was like, this is the opportunity to cut them. Mm -hmm. And so goldfish, 600 seconds with, and then I did some research. I can't remember what it was, but the thing is internet on the research, you've really, like, you've really got to go down rabbit holes to find mm -hmm. out if it's legitimate. Um, mm -hmm. But it was basically like we have a seven second attention span. Oh, and TikTok, everyone's like complaining about social media and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I was like, well, if we focus on that first eight seconds, it's all about the audience or the people I'm talking to. I will make sure that you, and it's actually eight seconds to connect, not impact, but okay. it's totally fine. Sorry like, about that. No, no. It's, it, well, it shows me how four, three quarters of my message got across, but were impact and connect, they, they both work. I was like, do I even yeah. talk about that? Whatever. Yeah, it's uh, interesting how my brain must have just translated that to my need <laughs> exactly but it's not as if it's wrong or completely off it's just a different way of saying mm -hmm. a positive result right in mm -hmm. a quick amount of time mm -hmm. um so i just then suddenly was like liberated to say i'm a pitch coach and it's about attention and you have eight seconds to connect mm. and i can make that happen and then you get another eight seconds and then another eight seconds and then 20 seconds and 30 seconds and and you have to treat it like that. Otherwise, you don't respect your audience. Mm -hmm. And you don't appreciate that your audience is literally listening to a pitch and kind of going 10, 9, 7, 8, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And I'm back on my phone. Mm -hmm. you know, wow. If you don't say something that's about them, mm -hmm. they're going to clock out. Mm. And so urgency, clarity, impact, connection, all these things are what a good presentation is. Mm -hmm. Let's drive towards that. And so losing mountains of imagination is, has a huge, I'm very fond of that period of my life, but I'm very mm -hmm. glad that I, I could recognize it, cut it and let it go. And we're moving in a different way. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I show up on your website or we're just talking and I'm like, I, I like the sound of that, you know, eight seconds to connect. That sounds wonderful. Um, how how do you help me learn how to to create Im impact or create connection in eight seconds and and how to continue that sort of mindset throughout a pitch because i think for a lot of people that that could sound daunting like i think i can do it once but then the clock's going to keep going um to what what would your your initial advice be to somebody looking to make that in, that that connection to people I bring out my Lego blocks. I like it. Um, and um, mindset is the word you just used. So for everyone who's listening and not watching, so imagine mm -hmm. five Lego blocks. And there's a layer of five Lego blocks. And that is your pitching mindset. Mm. Are you, are you, do you want to improve? Are you going to, are you coachable? Are you listening for the feedback? Are you going to iterate? Are you going to interpret the feedback? And then on top of those five Lego blocks, there's four Lego blocks. And that's your pitching strategy. Why am I pitching? What am, what, am, what, am I, what am I trying to achieve by preparing my message, gathering my audience, and then putting myself on the spotlight full of all those emotions? Why am I even doing that? Like, mm -hmm. do I have a clear goal? Then three Lego blocks is what am I saying? What's my message, story, mm -hmm. information, data, facts? Mm -hmm. And then... Two Lego blocks is my performance. And then the final Lego block on the top is your visual support, whether that's design or, you know, video, whatever that might be. Mm. And so if you don't have the bottom layer of five Lego blocks of mindset, the rest of it doesn't matter. Mm. And like what I've got right now is, is it looks like some steps. Now I'm going to turn that upside down. And most people start from the slides. Mm -hmm. They jump into the software. The software says, 
here's a template. It's got three bullet points on what three, but what three, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. I'm going to put it out <laughs> yeah. and it becomes a cake tin, mm-hmm. like cookies. You're cutting cookies with a little shape. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, it took a long time to get that because there was an experience once where I was recently where I was training a team of uh, startup founders to go to a pitching competition. Mm. And I was actually in China at the time. They were in the UK. And we we scheduled two one-hour sessions and they could choose the session they wanted to come to. And we would do some pitch practice. And there was this one founder, Rachel, and she turned up and she was obviously nervous. She had a script stuck on the wall next to her computer. Mm -hmm. She was bit anxious and then when she pitched she just read the script Hmm. and then i sort of we we talked about that she fact she buried the lead it took a minute for her to get through the pitch before she said the most interesting thing about her her goals Mm -hmm. she was reading her voice was all over the place she so anyway we she demonstrated her pitch at that point we had a conversation we did some peer feedback some on-the-spot coaching and then there was other people in the room. They all got to go. And then I said at the end, guys, we have another session in two days. You can come again if you like. Other people will get priority to pitch. But if you're there, you're in the room, you'll get to pitch. Hmm. Out of 10 people, she's the only one that came twice hmm. to the session. And then she waited patiently till everyone else had pitched. And she said, I know we're going to go long over time, but I'd love to pitch again. I said, let's do it. You're here. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say no. She pitched again. Everybody in the room went, oh, hmm. what was that? Wow. Because she aced it. And hmm. she had probably taken about 60% of my feedback and implemented it. The other 40%, she went, not really for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everything I say is going to be right. Yeah. And it was just like, wow. Hmm. I was I was so impressed because... She by taking what she'd buried in the middle and bringing it up to the top. She just she just connected with everybody instantly, and and then I was lucky enough to be at the event a week later where she was pitching live, mm-hmm. and it was pitch on stage for four minutes, get talk to the panel judge for five minutes. It's a startup event, so basically someone's going to walk away with a pot of prizes worth fifty thousand pounds or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Somebody else came to the event who did the training and then it was also on the stage, implemented none of the feedback mm. for me or others, just turned up again at the training session. Very, oh, thank you very much. That was great. Really appreciate that. Fantastic. Turns mm. out pitch is exactly the same. He's mm. not bad at pitching. Right. But Rachel was on stage. She was so nervous that she left after just the pitch and she forgot about the conversation with the, with the judges. Oh wow! That, she was that nervous. Mm-hmm. She won. Mm. She won the whole thing. Wow! And and the judges said, "We're giving this to you because you're going to do the most with it." Hmm. She connected. Her how she felt became part of her performance. Mm-hmm. She was still a little bit anxious and nervous, and I gave her some breathing tip exercises before the, again that she implemented, mm-hmm. and. After that experience, because I don't often see the result of my training, because, and that's when I came up with this formula, this five layers. And if your Mm -hmm. mindset is not there on the foundation level, the rest of it's not going to make any sense. Yeah. Um, And Mm. then I've seen that pattern more. I realized that I, 
have seen been seeing that pattern for a long time but never been able to articulate it and now i see it all the time mm. and i'm and 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 rachel is one of my stories that i you know when now when people say what do you do i'm either going to say crocodile wrestler if i want to be a bit quirky and stand out mm-hmm. or i just tell the story of rachel mm-hmm. well yeah it's it's one that everybody can relate to the first half of everybody has been Rachel where, yeah, you're, you're nervous. You, you either read a script or like you said, you've got the script in your head and you're doing the looking up, trying to recall thing. Um, we've all been Rachel in that moment. And then we've all wanted to be Rachel on stage winning, winning the prize. Right. You know, what, what I love about the story is, it wasn't like Rachel showed up and her nerves were gone and she just like ran through and it was beautiful. It was like, no, Rachel was still nervous. She had to kind of work through her breathing exercises to get through it. She then still decided to walk off stage right after because she was so nervous and relieved she was done. It was like, let me get out of here. And then she ended up probably then be told, come back out. Here's the, the discussion part. So like the beauty is that I still very much connect with Rachel through that. And it, it, I think it, it presents a more hopeful uh, opportunity for people to go, well, I can, I can be, I can be Rachel there. I don't think I can ever be this imaginary person who just shows up and is like, yeah, life is great. I'm, I'm, it's easy for me to present and I never get nervous. So I love the, the reality of it. And, and what I started to think of was, and I don't think I have the answer in my head, but my brain started trying to think of what is the mindset shift that happened for Rachel. You know, her mindset before was something along the lines of, I'm no good at this. Pitching makes me really nervous and I'm always afraid I'm going to screw up. And so therefore I probably do. Where, where do you think her mindset went that allowed her to get to a place of, you know, connecting and having an impact? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think it's a combination of things. So we, I, I, talked to her afterwards and she said that um i i i commended her and celebrated her growth mindset mm. and, and and we've often heard the term that hashtag you know i i studied about it when i did a post-grad in education growth mindset fixed mindset that sort of stuff mm-hmm. and i said you have an incredible growth mindset and she goes oh that's my dad mm. and she was very complimentary of her you know her relationship with her dad and her, her dad's belief in her and all this sort of stuff but mm-hmm. Rachel's just like you or I, completely just normal, normal person. Um, mm-hmm. Another contributing factor was that it was getting close to, to crunch time for her business. And her business is around her son who's autistic. And so she's mm-hmm. building a solution for her autistic child. So mm-hmm. it's insanely close to her. She's doing what every that that one piece of business advice of scratch your own itch build mm-hmm. something that you want yourself mm-hmm. she's doing that yeah and it's also for her son and for every other autistic family out there mm. and she had was running out of her own money and she needed this and even though she didn't explicitly say it like that and i hope i know she won't mind me sharing this but i think it's important to the learning is that like the pressure was building. And again, it's like she, those five Lego blocks at the bottom, she had the growth mindset to come in and say, I'm going to listen to the experts that get put in front of me. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to take them ounce for ounce everything they say, but I'm going to take what makes sense for me. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to elevate me. And so I think the combination of her her growth mindset, the timing of her business, the 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 sudden arrival of the coaching, she's very coachable, mm-hmm. very, very hungry for this next. And it's not like, and I, what you, how you described it of like, you could still relate because she didn't come in at like peak performance, Serena Williams or something like that. She didn't come in like completely amazing. She's still like, oh my God, I'm still figuring this out. She, Mm -hmm. the momentum, the path has been cleared Mm -hmm. and she's, she's going in the right direction and she's intentional. Mm -hmm. And, and there's something recently, I'm actually working on a proposal at the moment for a, a potential project and something that i've started to say is it i'm like is it pitching is it public speaking is it presenting yes Mm -hmm. it's all of them yeah and let's just call it intentional communication because again you come back to my model we've got those four lego blocks what's my pitching strategy why am i communicating Mm. and we roll back to the beginning of our conversation our caveman talking to our steve jobs Mm-hmm. or our you know cave woman talking to our you know oprah winfrey whoever mm-hmm. it might be yeah those two very different levels of thinking mm-hmm. if you don't know why you're communicating you're throwing mud at the wall mm-hmm. hoping it's going to stick yeah. Um, yeah i love that i love intentionality as a word because i think it's so easy to spend like huge chunks of our day our week our lives not being intentional we're just caught up in whatever we just think we're supposed to be doing or you know life is busy and it's just enough to kind of stay afloat um you know and it's you know that alone can keep us from ever recognizing the idea of a growth mindset right because um if you're just doing enough to kind of keep yourself going um hard to be intentional and then it's hard to then take that step back and go like what do i really want and what do i need to do to get there so i i love how all those pieces fit together and i'm certainly as a coach myself and i you know i coach more you know like leadership coaching and people like trying to figure out their career it's the same concept like you got to show up and be coachable and have that growth mindset and what i've recognized is and this is true for myself and i think it can show up sometimes for clients you might think you have a growth mindset because you sort of are drawn to learning and all that stuff but then you realize you've you've labeled yourself with something that you're just you're just letting it stick so for instance somebody like rachel could have labeled herself i'm a bad presenter and then could have just been like that's just not my thing and i'm you know and maybe she was growing in other areas but she was just like i'm just always going to be a bad presenter but no she showed up and said no i'm i can improve this surely i can other people do why can't i and that opened her up to then hear what you're saying do some of it that worked for her and you know and in her case obviously win a competition that allowed her to sustain her very personal and very wonderful business uh moving forward so um i think that story works obviously on a number of, of levels but i think it does come back to to intentionality like recognizing these are things i want now i need to make decisions that align with those things i want and i have to open myself up to being uh, coachable and being able to grow. And, you know, it doesn't mean I expect myself to be Serena Williams or Oprah Winfrey or Steve Jobs. You don't have to be. Uh, there are plenty of people doing great who are just some dude, some lady, and they're great. <laughs> you know? 
and then you bring exactly you bring that right back to you don't need to be that epic heroic figure right you just want to do your work without it sucking yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and that's you know you asked me at the beginning it's like where where are we on the the suck how much does work suck Mm -hmm. i think work sucks if you let it suck Mm-hmm. if you let yourself stay in a sucky situation and that's what you know i i got into i got into your podcast through um jocelyn mm-hmm. and then i was i would listen to your conversations about work when i was doing garden work which i felt yeah. was the good kind of work <laughs> and and i like this kind of contradiction of like i'm working filling boxes of firewood mm-hmm. sweeping away autumn leaves digging up flower beds whatever i might have been doing mm-hmm. and we're talking about work but i'm physically working but i'm in a good work headspace mm. and you know i since my first job catching lightning in a bottle and then through a catalog of bad jobs so then working for myself and also i don't let myself work for clients i don't want to work with if i <laughs> if i sense the chemistry is off i'm like i'm, I'm there are so many fish in the sea Mm -hmm. i don't need to work with this person because i don't want it to suck because i don't want to kind of finish work and then have this troll in my head kicking Mm -hmm. cans in my head when i should be playing with my kids or talking to my wife or having relaxing time or something you know Mm -hmm. So, so yeah that's a that's a really good point too right it's like work sucks doesn't just ruin work it ruins everything because yeah, that troll stays with you when whatever you're doing, you're you're doing something that you think is fun, whatever that is, whatever your interest is, or if it's family time, or if, hey, I'm gonna go zip lining this weekend, whatever it is, you're not enjoying that when work sucks because that just continues to eat at you uh, during all hours. And I think I think you're right. I think we do have to sort of step into that and be intentional and decide that I don't want work to suck, and then. And then it's a journey because it isn't like you flip a switch and work just doesn't suck. You have to figure out what matters to you, who you want to work with, the types of people, so that when somebody shows up who isn't that type of person, you can recognize now that there's just a values clash there. There's something going on there that doesn't work for me. And and you can make that choice versus just going, I don't know, it's, it's more revenue, so I guess I'm going to do it. Um, and even if you work within a company, um, realizing that you have some ability to define how your experience goes there. And, and it comes back to a little bit of what we were talking in the beginning, which is this is all about communication. You know, you're talking about pitching and presenting and public speaking or whatever, but like at the end of the day, what I feel like you're also teaching is just how to be an effective communicator. And that can be in a conversation with your boss, a conversation with your peers as you're trying to sort through a project and figure out the best path forward. Um, do you ever get into that at all with people that the idea that not only can you learn how to pitch your ideas better in these quite more formal settings, but you can sort of advocate for yourself or for what you see as the best way forward in a project or for a team using similar skills? A hundred percent. I mean, it, it is so not about a pitch deck or the slides or the presentation. Mm-hmm. It's about reading the room the moment, the Mm -hmm. goals, the relationship. I mean, I was just thinking back to all of the times in in jobs where I have communicated so badly 
<laughs> myself. And yeah. then I'm like upset that we're not communicating properly, but it all starts with me. Like mm -hmm. I remember swearing in meetings. I remember storming out. I remember being rude, being late, like all of these mm -hmm. dick things that, that I was doing. Yeah. And no wonder people didn't want to communicate with me because I was communicating. I was that troll. Um, and it mm -hmm. took a long time to sort of move beyond that. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of, I think you need to go through the valley of death and doom mm -hmm. in that to sort of come out the other side and be like, oh my God, I don't want to live like that. Oh yeah. God, okay, how can we change it? And then you read books, you watch conversations, listen to podcasts, go onto YouTube. There's so many sources of inspiration out there that you can like, again, like Rachel, cherry pick what makes sense and mm -hmm. then sort of formalize it into methods and then just realize that it's all about uh, whatever sport it might be. They always said there's some sport that goes, it's all, it's all about the next game. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the next pitch. And then it's mm -hmm. almost all about the next moment to communicate. Mm -hmm. Can you do it in a more elegant way, a, a more fluid way, more flow, more ease, more charm, all these different attributes. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not an overnight success. It's that, you know, uh, continuous grind that mm -hmm. and but the belief that you know that it's going to get better yeah i mean that's that's that growth mindset right it's it's a belief that you know it's not necessarily a straight line going up but it's going to be this and the trend is going to go up and you have the ability to influence that trend going up and you know i, I like the idea that you know you talk about just ultimately this is just about you know communicating better with people and to me, I, I often think of life, life is a series of conversations. And it's really all it is. And that's how that's our method of of making progress in the world and getting to know each other better and expressing ourselves. And, and why wouldn't we want to find a way to be better at that? And I loved you talking about your examples of, oh, God, I can't believe I was like that because it just bring up all these memories for me, too. And what's funny is I can go back and I can look at times where I was clearly just a stubborn ass or you know whatever but at the time i was right i was right yeah. damn it you know what i mean like that's what's so funny is that and that's hopefully what as you start to adopt more of a growth mindset you can also recognize your role in challenges because i think everybody will walk into an ad agency and go why is it that communications agencies are so bad at communicating and i think one of the reasons is is because it, we're not taking the responsibility for our own communication, um, which can have not just an impact on ourselves, but potentially an impact on others. Certainly if we're working within a team, it can have an impact there, which could then have a greater impact. So the ability to model the behavior we want is kind of step one. There may be situations which are flat out toxic and no matter what your influence is, it's not enough, but why not start there, see what happens. And, and if it if it does create some momentum, go with it. If it doesn't, great. You tried. Bring those skills somewhere else where where it may build more of what you want. You know. So, I I really do enjoy the 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 applicability of what you're bringing to to so much more than what we think of when we hear the word pitch or presentation, because ultimately we're always communicating and trying to to do it in a better way. 
I mean, just, you know, before we, we wrap it up, you may, what you described there made me think of someone that we're both fans of, uh, Jason Freed at 37 mm. Signals. Yeah. They've, they've taken that um, respect of how you communicate mm-hmm. to like an incredible level, which is not unattainable for others. It's they're leading by example. Mm-hmm. They're not putting themselves on a pedestal and saying, right. we are superior. They're saying, come with me and let me show you how we do it. Mm-hmm. It works. Yeah. And, you know, because I heard your conversation with Jason uh, a few mm-hmm. episodes ago. I've read his books, podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, I listen, yeah. I subscribe. And, and, I, and I find them a real inspiration because, you know, their value on writing, their value mm-hmm. on not wasting each other's time and, you know, mm-hmm. being very respectful of the zone and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is, a, it, you know, it's, it's so much about, to me, it's like, you know, Michael Jordan needed that fitness coach on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And then Serena Williams has a tennis coach. Tiger Woods has a swing coach. You know, mm-hmm. all of these amazing people have people from the sideline perspective, mm-hmm. not in the heat of the moment advising how to get incremental improvements and like mm-hmm. everybody needs that we all yes. have it mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally agree with that and I, I totally agree about about jason freed and and 37 signals uh for me i mean they got me with the book it, it doesn't have to be crazy at work that was the one that just was like you are you are speaking to me with that title because I, wherever I was at the time when I read it, I was like, why is it always so damn crazy here? And it wasn't, again, it wasn't like, it can be beautiful flowers and sunshine at work. It wasn't promising some weird utopia thing. It was like, it just doesn't have to be crazy. Like you can be there. They are probably one of the more intentional companies I've ever witnessed there. And, and they're, they're disciplined. Um, but in a way that doesn't feel like, when I hear discipline, sometimes I think, ooh, militaristic, like hardcore. They're, they're nothing like that. In fact, he'll argue against using that kind of like war-like language in a company. But, but they've created very simple, succinct processes that allow you to communicate better, uh, allow, make it so much easier to show up with respect um, and, and leave little room for you to, to go into these places that our crazy lizard brains want to take us. Um, they've created a nice structure for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think for, for this podcast in general, that's, that's what I love is getting a chance to talk to people who have some perspective that shines a light on why, why work doesn't have to suck and how it can be better. So I think today what you've done is, is come at it from a different angle, which is really this communication angle and, and this idea that we don't have to, um, communicate sort of on autopilot which is often how we do it we just kind of go from the gut and we bring all our biases out and then we just spin them onto people as opposed to being like just pause for a second think about first of all think about who you're talking to and what do they want or need and then think about how you can show up uh with with purpose and respect and, and and intent uh and and communicate clearly and communicate in a way that that delivers what they want more so than what we think they want or we're just trying to get our stuff out you know so i love what you're you're bringing for people and you know before we we wrap up i do like to ask people are you optimistic about 
the state of work and, and where we're headed? I think I am, yes. Um, mm. Because we have so many different voices and perspectives mm -hmm. who are raising the question, like yourself and Jason, mm -hmm. Jocelyn, and mm -hmm. all the other guests that I, I can't remember their names that we've had on your show. There was one guy who had the agency that was voted best agency, and, and there was the other um, mm -hmm. person who was talking about play. Mm -hmm. there, there are these voices out there um mm -hmm. and they're able to communicate in such a sort of succinct memorable way that i have like specific scenes from your conversations that i replay mm. because they i was like wow i get that boom oh nice Drop that one that mm -hmm. one needs to be filed away in, mm -hmm. in ram you know i yeah. need that in my ram yeah um because it was so useful and, and I and I think like you know the 37 signals team they've created a real tribe of mindset aligned people mm -hmm. who are doing this because they couldn't think of doing it any other way mm -hmm. and that's not just how they talk to each other but then also the products they create mm -hmm. so yeah no I'm very optimistic um and the, and the optimistic thing is that there's enough room for everybody like it's yeah. not it's not like a, a boat with only set you know it's not an arc where we can only mm -hmm. have pairs of people come in everyone everyone should be working like this so yeah yeah i agree and like you said it's it's not all we don't all have to do it the same way there's a 37 signals way and then there's a you know you think you were talking about uh mike wolfson was one of my guests who had the the best place to work and you know it's high wide and handsome and that's a different way uh, and then the other guests have different perspectives. And yeah, Gary Ware, you were mentioning, it was all about play. Like for some places, like really lean into that and that's going to make people thrive. So, you know, there there are an infinite number of ways that we can show up and be intentional and be respectful and and give people a chance, you know, to, to show up as themselves and do the kind of stuff they want. Um, when you think about your optimism and where that takes you, you know, if you could kind of just wave a magic wand and go, okay, works perfect today. The way we work is perfect. What does that look like to you? I think that's people smiling, being respected, listening, communicating properly, getting home to their families. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my first job that we talked about at the very beginning. I used mm -hmm. to, I, I used to feel great on Sunday night because mm -hmm. I knew that on Monday I was going into a place where I was with people I liked and i was doing work that interested me i was being challenged i was learning and we were making things happen mm -hmm. um, and so i think that you know to be and, and of course like every you know you see people with like dream lives rock stars but they all hate their job because it's a job so it's yeah. always going to suffer a little bit because it becomes we, we end up focusing on the things that annoy us about it and mm -hmm. we can't escape that but i think like to i think it, it probably comes down to respect do i respect myself do i feel respected do i respect my colleagues do i respect the work i'm doing you know, mm -hmm. does it make me feel proud mm -hmm. like some of the most boring work i've ever done has been the work that I'm, I'm most proud of because we did something creative in a in a potentially boring environment mm. i respected the client i respected everything about it mm. yeah i love that i think respect is a uh is a, a theme that seems to have shown up today a few times. And I think the, the fact that it's both respect for others and ourselves is, is a key part of that because often it's, it starts with that self thing. Cause if we're not respecting ourselves, then we show up 
as it sounds like maybe each of us did earlier in our careers at times where we're kind of like a, a dick in some moments because we're probably not self-respecting. And then we're, we're just vomiting that out onto the world, you know? So um, I think it comes back to like, yeah, it starts with us and what can we do? And then, yeah, hopefully we have some knock-on effects as we bring that to the world. Um, speaking of effects, uh, one of the things I like to do also is make some sound effects. Uh, you know, if you've listened to the beginnings of my my show, I'm, I'm always playing some cat sounds. And if you're really, really noticing, you might notice that uh, each guest, pretty much every guest so far has created a sound effect and it'll be in there. And it's been a whole bunch of different things and it can be silly or serious. It doesn't matter. So are you up for giving us a sound effect? 100%. Awesome. What do you got? <laughs> uh oh, that one triggers me, man. Because <laughs> I was just thinking at the end of what you just said before we go into sound effects, I was like, would the Simpsons ever do a scene where that character is sat on a like coach's sofa talking about why they always go? point out other people what, what do they not respect about themselves that what does that character not respect about himself to always right. want to point it out in other people that's what i was thinking about so oh my god that's funny that one. Oh, i love that <laughs> that's awesome yeah i uh i don't know i uh i i think that's I think, getting pretty pretty meta <laughs> it is but i actually think like the thing is is like i can immediately picture like yeah he's probably got things going on at home that makes him frustrated and he shows up at school and maybe he's a little bit bigger and tougher looking than everybody else. So he can just point and laugh at people when they do stupid stuff. And then he goes home and gets told he's stupid. Like that's probably what's going on. Um, we're, we're sort of remarkably simple creatures in that way. And that, you know, what gets done to us and what gets absorbed by us, we, we got to get rid of it and we throw it at other people. Um, well, on that note, I'll, I want to just give people a, a, a chance. First of all, thank you for, for, for coming on, but I do want to give you a chance to let people find you in all the ways people can find you online. There is only two places you can find me online. Uh, one is LinkedIn, and mm -hmm. I am the only crocodile wrestler on LinkedIn. Um, and then the second one is my website, and that is 8secondstoconnect.com. And that's eight spelled out or eight as a number? Um eight spelled out as words eight, okay. eight seconds to but i think you can put in the numbers and it works as well okay great and it just you just reminded me real quick before we go uh on linkedin you've kind of developed this identity as as the, the sketching guy and I, i'd love to just give you a second if you have time to 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 talk about how you became the sketch guy well there's lots of us we're we're a wonderful tribe of visual note takers there's loads mm -hmm. of amazing artists and mm -hmm. basically for me every good pitch starts with a sketch and ends with a sketch so mm -hmm. whenever we're we're creating content or planning strategy i will be whiteboarding mm -hmm. um and then if we use visuals to pitch i will want to have a sketch in that to complement mm -hmm. the icons, the photography, and then the sketch. So mm -hmm. a photograph is great for emotions. Icons is great for process. And sketches are great for concepts. Mm. So that's how I use them. I love that. And I actually think that's a, a lesson we could take into the worlds of advertising and other communications places. Because 
there is such a, a, a desire to ultimately have something feel really polished and finished at the conceptual stage versus the, the freedom and imagination that comes when you have a sketch. Um, so I hope, I hope we're listening um, and, and maybe thinking about how we could, could go, go back to that place of, of sketching in that conceptual stage, because it, I think it creates so much more possibility than a very polished photograph does. Exactly. And we're about to open a can of, <clears throat> about to open a can of worms. But now that you can prompt perfection <laughs> through AI, mm -hmm. we're, you know, yeah, people are people are going to be so overloaded with perfect images so soon. Mm -hmm. like, I can't see an idea. I can just see a, a varnish. Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. um, not to say I, I have nothing to no no vex. I'm I'm I think AI is amazing and I think AI generated images are amazing, but it mm -hmm. is a torrent and we do need to slow down and be like, get the post-it note, get the sharpie. What mm -hmm. does Jason say? He said something like uh, sketch with a fat marker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make it blunt so it's it's basic. Mm -hmm. Then we can confirm it's what we want. If it's yeah. all you know, highly polished AI renders, then we lose track. We we start commenting on what we feel about the finish rather than what makes you think about the idea. Yeah, I love that. Well, on that note, uh, <laughs> I will say again, thank you, Martin. This was uh, this was a really fun conversation, and uh, I hope people get a chance to uh, track you down online, uh, and get to enjoy some of your LinkedIn engagement with your sketches and all your your great insight, and hopefully, some folks tap you to learn how to communicate better, whether that's one-on-one -on -one or one-on-a-million. Fantastic. Thank you, TJ. It's been a wonderful conversation. I'm really happy. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Martin. Bye-bye. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Desuckify Work podcast. And thanks to Martin for bringing joy and curiosity to our conversation. You can follow Martin on LinkedIn and check out his site at 8SecondsToConnect.com. That's the word eight, not the number. The site is loaded with good info and a ton of fun stuff to explore. You know what else is fun? Checking out my site at ThePuddingFactory.net, following the podcast on Substack, YouTube, or just about any other podcast app, and subscribing to the Desuckify Work newsletter at TJBennett.Substack.com. Hope you all enjoy. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>